How many of you are looking to pursue a wee bit of happiness tonight? So I'm really excited about this course because uh, the next few weeks, I think we're going to go all the way to the end of August to try and deal with a whole bunch of concepts that are going to align us with this thing called happiness. Want to smile? Look at that. Just there it is. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. Um, work it, work it. And so uh, it was very interesting. I was uh, in the car today with Michael, and I said to him, I said, one of the concepts that we're going to work on tonight is this thing called a happy Christian. And you may think that that's an oxymoron uh, because it's not typically something that we talk about a lot. Like, is it really okay for a Christian to be happy? Shouldn't we be struggling or suffering in some way? Wouldn't that be making God happier if we were, ha- if we were sadder and if we kind of carried more burdens and trudged through? And I think we think about it sometimes when we talk to Christians. Even when they get blessed, they are always blessed, but, you know, then they give the other half of the story. It wasn't that good of a blessing. It was just kind of like a half blessing, you know, kind of a thing. And I, I, I want to try, I, I try and use the summer this year to get uh, the concept of happiness into our minds in such a way that it actually helps us to be happy and live lives that are happy because I can promise you the next hundred years in the kingdom is not going to go to a sorrowful group of people who are trudging through life hoping that they're going to be happy when they get to heaven when they die if by chance heaven is a good place. And um, I really believe that we're coming into a whole new season when it comes to understanding the things that are going on in the kingdom and actually getting them to work properly. And so uh, anyways, so we're on this pursuit of happiness concept. um, And I'm going to use a whole bunch of quotes with you tonight because... um, I just think there's a lot of value in listening to other people and what they say as they've really been on this pursuit of happiness. I would say that I have not been and I don't know a lot of Christians that are on a quote, I'm pursuing happiness. I want my life to be about happiness. Because we're Christians, we're about pursuing God or pursuing his word or pursuing wisdom or pursuing whatever, right? And so when I was going through this, sadly, it's sad to say, when I was going through and preparing for tonight, because I'm going to kind of, I'm hoping what I'm going to do tonight is give sort of an overview that other people, teachers, and whoever is going to be sharing over the the next few months, uh, sort of a, you know, what what direction are we trying to head in, if I can sort of set that course. And so I wanted to do some research on the quotes of other people and what they say about it. And one of the things that was remarkable uh, I don't, you know, I search all over the place for different kind of quotes, and usually the top 10, and then the top 100, and the top 500. Can I tell you something? There's not one identifiable Christian quote mm-hmm. in all the quotes that I have looked at in total. Wow. Got, I got some New Age ones for you. I got some humanist ones for you. I got some uh, probably agnostics for you. I got some, all of those things. I'm okay, to, you know, uh, you know, don't, don't burn me at the stake. But I'm really looking for people's understanding of the journey that they have been on because the world is very focused on happiness. That's a big part of what their life pursuit is. I just want to be happy. 
And we can actually learn a little bit from people who have been on the journey a long time because most of us have not been on that journey. Although we know, if you remember scriptures from you know, Proverbs and all those things, is when you find God, those who serve the Lord are happy, those who find wisdom are happy, those who, you know, so we know there's a correlation between our pursuit of wisdom and our pursuit of the Lord and our pursuit of the word and our pursuit of living righteously and all of these kind of terms that then supposedly lead to happiness. But I'm gonna suggest to you that we've got a little bit of work to be able to really make that connection. And we'll talk a lot about that today. So I'm gonna start with our first quote of the night is this one. Uh, it's from Colette, that's all it told me about her or him, depending on if it's a pen name. Uh, what a wonderful life I've had. I only wish I had realized it sooner. And so that's, I think, one of the, uh, the, if I got a tattoo, it would be something like that, that we realize early that we are living wonderful lives. And uh, anyways, and so the pursuit would be, and it's certainly my desire for a lot of young people that are here, that this becomes a foundational part, this summer season that we have, becomes a foundational part of your the way you interact with yourself on the inside. And for my part, uh, if you've hung around me at all, I, what, what's really important to me as a person is understanding how things work. Because when I understand how things work, I can fix them when they become broke. If we don't understand how things work, then we can mess around with it for a whole long time and never get any closer to fixing it. And if you've ever tried doing that, you'll probably notice that you make it broker than it was when you got there. And that's where I think a lot of us find ourselves, is that we run around trying to fix it. Our culture is absolutely addicted, I use that term intentionally, addicted to trying to find how to become a happy person. And one of the main tools that I think the enemy uses to actually waste a life is to make that person uh, addicted to becoming a happy person. And, and then by extension, having them try and look for the answers of how to become more happy in all the wrong places. And then we find out that we go decade after decade after decade only to discover, and probably as this quote would reflect, that we were, we were actually happier before we began the journey. And so it's some of these caveats that we're gonna share tonight, we're gonna talk about tonight, just to make sure that yes, we're gonna learn how to fix these problems and uh, what they are and how to tweak them uh, and how to be one of these people that every day I get happier than the day before. Um, but also we're gonna learn a few things from people who have perhaps spent a whole lifetime looking and have not found it and in fact find themselves on the opposite end of the scale. And so let's define it, at least from my perspective. What is happiness? Happiness is a state of consciousness. Uh, some of the uh, synonyms that I discovered, bliss, serenity, joy, contentment, cheerfulness, satisfaction, euphoria, elation. Those are words that you would say, okay, this defines what this feels like to be happy. Um, Blake said it when he was here on the weekend that happiness was an expectation of impending good and success. 
And so what we're looking for there is we're recognizing that <clears throat> if you have clued into a couple of those words, that what we possess on the inside, <clears throat> in order to be happy, I have to have this constant feeling that th good things are going to happen. I have this constant feeling that no matter what challenge I'm facing right now, that I'm going to be successful at the end of it. And so remember that depending on how you fit on the continuum of these things is going to determine how much happiness you actually experience. Another definition, a transcendent, this may be a little bit more technical uh, definition, but it's a transcendent reality. And what that means is that you're on in, in the way you operate on the inside, that no matter what situation you are facing, that you really feel that you are o over top of it, that you can control it, that you can fix it. A transcendent reality, meaning that you're over top of it, that does not depend on the assessment of present circumstances or their typical outcome. <clears throat> so take any situation. I was actually talking to uh, Ronald, uh, one of the new fellows that's here. He's actually back in Nigeria right now. I think he's gone. Has he gone home to Nigeria? We were talking the other day after service and kind of like this great work that we are, that uh, at least our hearts here, and I know his heart, for you know, the continent of Africa, particularly in his work right now from Nigeria, but he's from Uganda too. And so we were talking about this whole concept of hope and how you know, hope is a fleeting thing. When things look like they're gonna go good, then I'm happy and I'm hopeful. But as soon as they don't look like they're gonna go good, the typical human response to that is, down we go and we're not hopeful and I'm happy and sad now. But the, the true happiness is that comes from a transcendent way of thinking about those type of experiences so that when things are going great, that's great. I'm expecting that they're going to get better. But when things turn and they, they appear as though they're going in the opposite direction, I'm still hopeful. I'm still just as happy as I was before because now I know that even though it's going down and going into a dip cycle, that's okay. It's going to come up and I'm going to, it's going to be a good thing for me and I'm going to be successful. And you're thinking to yourself, man, that doesn't that sound easy. But that is the, what we are shooting for when it comes to our pursuit of happiness, is that we are very specifically grabbing hold of what I'm referring to here as a transcendent reality. When we can get our mind to understand that we are human beings, as human beings, we are transcendent over situations. Because of our partnership, thou art with me, we are equipped right now to be able to, no matter what the situation that we are facing, we are able to be victorious over that thing to such a degree that it produces good in our lives. That simple, what sounds simple, and it, you probably already are saying it to you in your own, in your own head, that's a lot, sounds a lot easier to say than it is to live. But that, when we are pursuing happiness, that is where happiness is found. And I'll, I'll put a lot of the pieces together as we continue going forward. And so the Lord said this to me. Actually, I was going to mention it at the, the, the School of Ministries graduation, and I didn't get there. I got dinged or buzzed or whatever before 
I got to the really good stuff, so I'll share it with you tonight. Um, this transcendent reality <clears throat> is rooted in our belief system about the nature of the world around us and our place in it. And you'll notice that a lot of what goes on here, and, and that, especially for my part, what I am trying to share with you guys, is a different perspective on the world around you and your relationship to it. Simply because that produces, at the end of the day, no matter what situation you'll face in your life, it, it's going to maintain a consistent level of happiness for you. And happiness is not like, you know, the dessert at the end of the meal. And I, I'm hoping that you will, you will come to that over the course of the summer. Happiness is actually a very important component to making spiritual things work. It's not like, well, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to do all these amazing things, and maybe I'll be happy. You know, you're not going to do, you're not going to be able to do the things God is asking you to do if you don't put happiness as an, a necessary component of that journey, okay? The Lord said this to me for the, for the LCSM, but for, for tonight's teaching, he said, the future belongs to the hopeful, and I've just, that's been going on, you know, over and over and over and over and over in the inside of my heart. And hopefulness, if you can listen to this, just to put that down as a soundbite, hopefulness produces the highest amount of happiness that you can get in the face of a situation. So think about that for a moment. Like even in the worst of situations that you can imagine, being hopeful in the middle of the worst of situations produces the highest amount of happiness that you can have in that situation. Imagine it in the upside down. If I have a really bad situation that's happening uh, in my life, for example, if I'm, I, I can't find my hope, this is going to take me out. It's all over from here. What happens? That is the, the more I go down that road, the sadder I'm going to get. Well, it's easy to then say, my ability to remain hopeful, expecting good and success in that situation, even if it's a really bad situation, is going to produce the maximum level of happiness that's available in the situation itself. Then, if you think again about the calculation here, if I'm a hopeful person, that hopefulness is setting in motion a whole bunch of spiritual forces that then are the forces that will be used to fix the situation. So by being hopeful, which produces happiness, also creates the power to become successful, which means my hopefulness is actually a good idea. And my hopefulness is actually the profit of my future. Yes. You see that? Now imagine it the other way around. So now I'm in a bad situation or whatever. I'm in a challenging situation. And I allow the challenging situation to steal my hope. There's just no possible way that I'm ever going to get out of this alive. Then that is producing dread, a negative expectation of the future, which is producing the wrong kind of spiritual forces, it's actually giving power to the wrong thing 
to the thing I actually don't want. And now there's a darn good reason why I'm dreading the future because it's coming at me like a train. Do you see how that works? So if you identified happiness as, how do you know? So I'm sitting in a bad situation. I'm saying to Tina, I says, I'm not worried about the situation. She looks at me and goes, oh yeah? Tell your face. Because you don't look very happy. And if you're not very happy, then you're not very hopeful. If you're not very hopeful, you're not fixing the situation. Does that make some sense? So as a Christian, how many of you are now can figure out the math to say, I'm shooting for some happiness? Not putting it on, not just be a, you know, not like Pinocchio, you know, draw the lipstick smile on. But I really want to be a happy person. And I'm going to use my happiness as a measuring stick to how I'm doing in igniting the spiritual forces that God is trying to get me to use to produce the success and the uh, owning of the future that he's always intended for me to have. Does that make some sense? And so the, I guess the bottom line here, yikes. I have to get to those scriptures off my iPad. I'm running out of gas. So what, when, when, you know, when God is assigning us to this summer of the pursuit of happiness to a people group, Christians, who very few people would equate a Christian with happiness, then we need to get at it. Because we need to be igniting the forces that God is going to use that are the attraction mechanisms of the people who don't know God. What the people who don't know God, Romans tells us, are with the ones that are supposed to be without hope in this world. Then if you create the math in that sentence, I'm with God, therefore I'm hopeful. I'm with God, therefore I'm, I'm happy. And my day, I got a pep in my step and I can't wait to see how God is going to create success and good out of this situation that I find myself in. And I'm seriously happy about that and anticipating of this great thing that I'm going to be able to tell you all about when I come back next week or see you again. Does that make some sense? Here are the caveats. One of the keys to, uh, this is Rita Brown, one of the keys to happiness is a bad memory. Let me, let me give you some, and I, I, need you to, I need to focus on it because figuring out all of our past experiences is not going to help you to become happy. Okay, now I know we do a lot of work with past experiences and you do need to do that. But we cannot become fixated on the 7 billion negative experiences that we've had in our lives. And if we finally get all the boxes ticked off, then I'm going to be happy. Can I tell you something? It does not work. It doesn't work because we spend 40 years of our lives focused on the negative experiences of our lives. And that creates exactly the wrong thing. Yes, there are times when we have to fix certain experiences, but the reason even when we do Rhema here that all we're looking for is that little tiny experience that happened to you when you were four years old. We're going to go in there, surgically change it, let it alone, and then let your soul figure out all the other negative perceptions that you had based on that one experience. We're not going to go back and have you go to 42,000 sessions where you're going to deal with each individual negative or perceived negative experience in your life. And now your whole life is all about your negatives. Because if you folk, what you focus on, you're going to produce. Okay? And so you have to be careful not to focus on the negative things that are going on. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay? 
Uh, happy, uh, this is, uh, oh, don't know who this is, but it's somebody. Happiness doesn't bring laughter. Laughter brings happiness. All right, so you, we have to remember, and we'll see a lot of that, in our understanding of how to get our soul to tap into happiness, is it's necessary for us to learn to a degree, and I'll talk about this at the end, there is a degree to which we become skillful at being happy and making ourselves happy, focusing on the right things so that we don't give access into our lives by the negative things that are going on in all the world around us. We give access to those things by making sure we keep a happy meter on our lives. If I start to fade away, I need tools. I need environments. I need people. I need a whole bunch of things that are going on in my life so that I don't wait till the whole thing is crashed and I'm way down in the big depression zone of my happiness scale before I realize, okay, oh, hey, I might need a little bit of help here. Right? We tick past into the, into the gray zone there where it's not super happy anymore. Okay, now I need to get at it. I need to pull out a couple of my tools and I need to get myself back over that line, realign myself, and I'll show you some of that in a minute. But I need to be focused on being able to realign myself early in the game. I, you know, back in the, you know, 20 years ago when I went through some really serious things, demonic things in my life, my problem was I got them in my brain and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to figure this one out. And you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the negative, into the dread in order to find which alternative is your best one to get out of this only to realize I spent too long in it and I can't get out. Instead of that, we need to be able to know what tools work in order to flick us back over into the green zone, into the super happy zone, and then stay there. I think if you remember, I'm just reminded of a teaching I did, oh, well, it had to be 10 years ago now, called The Power of Pretending. I'm telling you, if you have not, if you're, uh, anyways, go ahead and listen to that. Another quote is, you pursue happiness, be happy. Can I tell you the people, where's the other quote? There's one in, in here that, I'll, anyways, I'll just run through them. True vanity is to seek happiness without ever choosing to be happy. I remember the Lord said that to me. He said, Ian, you're wasting all of your todays worrying about all your tomorrows. I'd like the Lord to say that to you. You know, he's nice most of the time. But that's serious business to him, right? right. It's serious business to God that we're happy especially because there's such a mechanism by which we can attain that if we just start using some of the principles. Okay, another one of the caveats. The thicker the skin, the happier the man. Isn't that good? Uh, and so we do recognize that it takes work to do this, right? The, more, the stronger we are and the more we have the ability to handle situations and keep ourselves in the green zone, when we practice that every single day, then we find it's not long before we hardly ever go back over the, into the gray zone anymore. But if we wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and never develop the ability to keep us in the happy zone, then when the time comes and something really does hit hard, then we are crashed. We, can't, we, haven't, we haven't got the muscular, the soul muscles in order to get us back into that zone, okay? Developing all the tools. You can only get happiness if you don't need it. Right? This is the pursuit when, when, when a lot of our culture is pursuing happiness. But they're pursuing happiness because they hate their lives. 
Can I tell you? And you cannot find happiness that way. Success is getting, as is Dale Carnegie, success is getting what you want. Happiness is wanting what you get. Uh, you can't catch happiness by running faster. That's a, sort of a sidebar quote from Mahatma Gandhi. There is, there is more to life than increasing its speed. And so, again, when we are, and this is, I think, always in things of scripture, when we, are pursue, we, when we, when we look at the natural thing, and we just seek after the natural thing. I want to experience happiness in my soul. By trying to go for happiness, we can't get happiness. The happiness is a symptom of something else. And that's what we're going to talk about from here. Is when we understand how, what actually produces the symptom of happiness, we'll be able to do some tweaking of the dials in our own lives to be able to figure out how to increase, continually increase the happiness part of our lives. But as the world would do it, we're just seek, because I maybe don't accept that there's a whole bunch of other mechanism that goes on to the way humans live their lives, I'm just going to go after happiness. And every time somebody makes me sad, then I'm going to start hating that person that, or that situation that made me sad. And what happens with that is you probably already figured it out. The more I focus on the thing that's making me sad, the sadder I become. And so we want to make sure that we understand the mechanics as we go forward. And then let's take it a look before my battery runs out. Uh, let's take it a look at a few of the Bible verses. You think God, and, and when I was preparing, I sort of prepared myself because the ones that I could remember were kind of falling into the category of God's brutal truths. The ones that maybe I'm confused about. Um, so here is, happy, the, happy is the man that finds wisdom. You're thinking to yourself, no, happy is the man who drives Ferraris. <laughs> she, wisdom, is a tree of life to them that lay hold of her, and happy is everyone that finds her. Doesn't that sound awesome? Doesn't that sound like something? It, it, what I'm going to draw your attention to here is that these aren't, even though they are truths and we know they are truths, they can tend to not be a whole bunch of inspiration to us when it comes to, to happiness. Um, he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. He who trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Happy is the man that fears always. Isn't that interesting? Um, Happy is the man who keepeth the law. You're thinking, that's not very happy. Obey all the rules. What can possibly be happy about all that? Um, happy is the man who doesn't con condemn himself in all that he does. Here's the, here are some of my favorites. These are the uh, crown jewels of the happy scriptures. Uh, we count them happy which endure. Isn't that great? But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. If you are reproached or made fun of for the name of Jesus, happy are you. How many of you are thinking, yeah, those aren't the most inspirational happy scriptures that, aren't there some other ones? How many of you remember that there's a scripture, I love this scripture actually, and I was amazed that it's actually in the Bible. It, it talks about in the Israelites, when the Israelites were, God was giving instructions to the, the, the law that he gave to Moses. One of the instructions that he says is that when you are going to go to the bathroom, 
what I need you to do is I need you to go and get your shovel and I need you to go outside the camp. Now there's, there's five million people right now in the nation of Israel or so, that's the estimates or whatever. Um, he says, what I need you to do, God speaking, I need you to go grab your shovel and I need you to go outside the camp. I need you to dig a hole in the ground. I need you to do your business and then I need you to put the use your shovel and fill it all back in again, and then you can go back to your, to your home, to your tent. Uh, you know, what I, I would have thought would have been easier is that God just talked about what germs are. Um, Napoleon said this, actually. He said, you know, his so he lost more soldiers to dysentery uh, than he lost to lead. Uh, dysentery is what happens. This is a, I'm not a medical person, but a few medical people in here, they'll give you more details on it should you need it. Um, dysentery is what happens to soldiers when they all camp in a very small area, and instead of going outside the camp with their shovel, they just go outside their tent and drop their drawers and do their business right there on the thing, on the, whatever, right there. It gets in their water supply because the well is right there as well. All of that goo gets in the water supply, and then they drink the water supply, which has now got whatever, zippity-doo, germs in it, and they get sick, and they die. What's that? They've right. Um, that's Napoleon. That was thousands, uh, millennia, after God told them, if you're going to be in a small group, in the, uh, you know, huddled up in a small group, then poop outside the camp. You see, what God was doing was he was giving instructions that we now know is talking about dealing with germs and being safe and healthy in spite of the fact that we have germs in the world around us. Can I tell you, the scripture is like that with happiness. God is not giving us happy scriptures. Happy are you if you have the new iPhone, right? Happy are you if you drive a Ferrari. Happy are you if you have whatever a big house on the beach, happy are you if you've got the cutest girl in the world. He doesn't say that. He gives us the actual tools that empower us as a byproduct to also be happy. It's a natural outcropping of doing things the way God intended us to do them. Just like the natural outcropping of pooping outside the camp is that you don't get sick. Right? When you see half of your army can't get up for battle today because they're all, you know, throwing up out of both ends, that's where you have evidence somebody did not poop outside the camp. Right? Now, any doctor will tell you that today because we understand germs. But we have only understood germs for a couple hundred years. And so all the rest of time... The evidence was there, but God was not telling us how to deal with germs. He was telling us, just do what I'm telling you to do. If you do what I'm telling you to do, you're not going to have to worry about that. And God does that all the time. He wants us to just simply obey and the outcropping. But what we're able to do now, because we have a whole bunch of this that's in writing and we can put it all together, if we're willing to put it all together, what we're able to do is look at how do I feel today? How happy am I right now? That's going to be our assignment. Well, I'll give it to you now so that you can kind of prep for it as we're doing this next bit. 
is I want you to get, you know, Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor Jenny, I shouldn't say that, Minister Jenny's uh, little 31-day checker box. Did you have, y'all have a copy of that where she gives every day and you get to check off if you did a certain thing? Every, anyways, you can get that. Amy, Amy will get you a copy. I want you to print something like that off or just print the next 30 days out of a calendar and rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 how happy I was in the day. Can I tell you something? By the end of the month, you will be happier just because you're paying attention to rating yourself on how happy you are. Just because I, I mean, I'm a happier person today than before we started getting ready for this summer of pursuit of happiness because I'm thinking I better at least look happy up there. <laughs> and so I've been happier and kind of, you know, dealing with some of the things that are in these notes about whether we have to talk about for the summer. Okay. So just take on a project like that or not. If you don't want to get any happier, you don't have to do it. But if you want to get happier, just rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 over the next 30 days. And you'll see, one, you're not necessarily in the I'm a really happy person column. And two, you'll see how easy it is just by rating yourself, how you can get better and better and better at this. Okay, so happiness. Am I done here? Uh, Okay, where does happiness come from and how can I increase it? Okay, I'm going to explain to you what happiness actually is. Happiness is an alignment. It's it's an internal sensation that you have. The reason that you have that internal sensation is because you are made up of three pieces. Spirit, or you might say your subconscious. Then you have your soul, which is your conscious. And then you have your natural life, which is everything that goes on in the, you know, the world that we live in right now. When what you believe here and what you expect here and what you experience here, when these three line up, you experience happiness. So let me give you an example of that. Let's, yes, I'm going to shut this off before it actually dies on me. Okay. So when you are dealing with happiness, you know, or let's say when you're troubleshooting it, what you are looking for is either something you believe, something that you expect, or something that you are experiencing right now, or your, let me say, let's say experience, but that's really in your perception. We don't actually e- experience the lives that we live. Yeah. We experience the lives that we perceive that we live. And so when I am needing to increase my happy scale, all I'm trying to do is work on, I can easily find it by the way, it's either something that I believe, something I expect, or something that, I'm exper- my per- something that I'm perceiving right now. That's actually not true. It's very interesting. Uh, Blake and I had a discussion about this when, when, he, when he was here because it's something that I'm working on right now is the 
how do we understand the belief systems that we have? And the Lord was speaking to me about a month ago. I thought in preparation for the conference. It wasn't actually. It was in preparation for this discussion that I had with Blake. And he was talking to me about the lives that we actually lived between the ages of zero or minus nine months and uh, let's say seven or eight years old. And he said, the reason, because I was fixated at this time on understanding why we don't remember the experiences from before we are, say, not a lot of them, before we are seven years old. And I was fixated on that. I mean, I have a bunch of grandchildren now. um, And I'm spending a lot of time and, you know, a lot of effort with them. And I'm really believing for a lot of things in their heart and on their behalf. And I'm sort of realizing that I'm spending all this cool time doing, having all these great experiences with them. I'm going to remember them. They're not going to remember them. And I was bugged by that. And so, you know, that's usually where the Lord speaks to me the most is when I'm bugged. Um, but he was, what he was talking to me about was the nature of your soul and your spirit. That when you are in your pre, um, let's say before, I don't want to get into all of this long discussion on it. In those years between when you are, say, from the womb until you're about seven years old, and it happens earlier and earlier because of our culture, but your soul and your subconscious are the same place. If you know anything about the subconscious area of your life, as far as we are aware about our subconscious, it's almost uh, limitless. It's not limitless, but it's way beyond limit what we would consider a natural limitation. I think they were saying that our brain can hold about six million years worth of memories in it, just to give you an idea of how much capacity we have inside of our soul. But when we are growing up in these early formative years, the memories that we have, because we have just a very small amount of memory here, and depending on who you are, the smaller it actually can get, when we are having experiences in these zero to seven years old season, we store those memories in our subconscious, which are not automatically or easily recoverable because when we grow past our six or seven or eight year old age these two pieces actually split in half and there becomes a pretty solid boundary between those two things the bible calls it a shield so it actually closes here so that when we are in our conscious mind after that age we really don't have the memories or access to the memories that we experienced up until that time. But a child from the age of zero, from conception until this, when this thing is separated into two pieces, every single thing that happens is recorded. And then that becomes the foundation of the belief systems that you operate out of for the rest of your life. And we know psychologically that that's true. That when these memories, your pre-seven-year-old or so, memories are the memories that then become the foundational guiding principles that govern the rest of your life. So So then, 
obviously, what becomes super important to us, if my happiness has got two of those components in it, what my belief systems actually are, are very important to the determination of my happiness for the rest of my natural life. Does that make some sense? So then if I'm experiencing, as many Christians experience, that I'm just not ever happy, my best, uh, my best day will be that I'm not sad. The reason is because we have these two components that make up my happiness. A lot of the problem then becomes pursuing happiness, which then tries to mask these things. Right, whether it would be in all kinds of addictive behaviors or all kinds of things that would be taking me down the wrong path, instead of dealing with what we can actually deal with so that it's not just I live in a zombified state, but I'm not sad anymore, I can actually live happy because I've gone after fixing what are my beliefs and what are my expectations. Does that make some sense? And so when we're doing that, so let me give you a couple examples. Oh, here's a cute one. Uh, well, okay. Um, this doesn't matter if you're a Christian. This is still the equation. So I remember when I, was, when I first was out of university, I lived up in Oshawa, Ontario, and I had a house up there, and so a couple of the guys from work would rent rooms for me. One of the guys, I, I, still rem- I, I tried to remember his name, but I can't remember his name. I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. Something to do with that amount of memory that you have in your soul right there. Um, <laughs> And so I, rem- I can remember this conversation that we had one day uh, with, with his car. And he was convinced that you don't ever need to change the oil in your car. <laughs> all you really need to do is when it gets low, you just top it up. <laughs> now, you probably know, or you should know, that's not a good belief system. <laughs> but can I tell you, this guy blissfully drove along for 100,000 kilometers or so. All, all he ever did was put a top up his oil. I'm thinking 100,000 kilometers. But you know what? He was blissful. It didn't matter <laughs> that he got this wrong. What mattered was this and this and this aligned themselves. When they were aligned, he was a happy camper. Can I tell you, a lot of the things that go on, a lot of our belief system, this is why becoming a Christian and really deciding, because I can tell you something, uh, it doesn't always turn out right for that guy, right? If you can go to, to the scriptures, it says, and the end thereof is destruction, right? The car, I don't know what happened to the car, but I can probably tell you what happened to the car. I dropped the engine out of it on the highway one day because it turned into a molten slag of steel. He was blissful up until that very moment. And the end thereof was destruction. And so the belief systems, because you might hear me say a minute ago that it doesn't matter what your belief systems are. It does matter. That's why we do what we do. Because we we, we want to get happy, which is based on this formula, but we don't want to just be happy as we drive ourselves off a cliff. Does that make some sense? The, 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 the journey of a Christian 
is to take all the bad belief systems that we were raised with, whether you raised Christian or not, don't matter. Everybody got stuff that ain't right. And we, as long, but as long as we follow those principles, we're gonna feel happy. That's why worldly people are happier often, most often than Christians are. Because they have a bad belief system but they're not challenged by that bad belief system, right? I believe that I'm gonna be poor all my life. I expect myself to be poor, and I'm poor. I'm, we laugh because we're kind of focused in the exact opposite direction here. But I can promise you, most of the people that are in that category are happier than you. Because everything is lined up for them. Does that make some sense? Okay. Here's an example. So we know a belief system. It's good to be rich. It's good to be healthy. It's good to be loved. In my soul, I have images of abundance. I have images of longevity. I have images of family and extended family and all kinds of people that are around and that we love each other. It's all beautiful. And in my natural level, I have lots of money in the bank and I have lots of energy when I wake up every morning and I have lots of fun with all the people that I love and care about. And you would say, totally right. That would produce happiness. But can I tell you something? If I believe it's good to have nothing, that it's righteous to suffer and that it's awesome and safe to be alone. If I believe and the images in my mind are the images of the security of not having anything that anybody would want to steal that I'm embracing the strength that I need to suffer well. And I embrace the safety of trusting and needing no one. That person will experience just as much happiness as the first person. And it's crazy. But all that needs to happen is for my soul, my spirit, my soul, and my natural self to be in alignment. Then what happens on the inside of me when I'm aligned is I feel happy. But obviously, for your own personal lives and our struggle here, our mantra from God is to be be transformational, is to come into the game when it's like, okay, I got all these really bad expectations that are going on in my life. I think I'm gonna be broken and, and sick and miserable and alone, all of these negative expectations that are built upon belief systems that I was taught with, which I understand now are wrong, but I didn't know they were wrong before. I've got all this misery going on in my life right now where I'm being betrayed and abandoned. I've got all of these problems or, you know, every time I get a blessing, it's stolen from me and I got all this stuff going on here. And then Pastor Ian shows up and tells me it didn't have to be like that. Well, I was pretty happy before when I was completely aligned properly, suffering and doing what humans do, which is misery and pain. But that's what it's all about. And so I guess my best thing to do is toughen up a little bit and suck it up and just be whatever. See if you can get a boat before you die. I was happy with that. But then I changed this. And what happened to my life? I got everything out of alignment. And I stop being happy. Isn't that interesting? And so what, we, what has to be in this process of the pursuit of happiness 
is understanding that I can't just go buy a Bible one day and get a promise that God says, you love it all that I have is yours. That's not enough. As a matter of fact, that's gonna create what I used to call the frustration gap, the difference between the promise and the performance. And I will live in this frustrated position, mad at everybody all my life if I don't fix the rest of the equation. Does that make some sense to you? And so when I'm going after it, if I'm just coming to church and getting a few Bible verses, that's actually going to work. Ah, it's terrible to say this. It's actually going to work upside down. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Okay, let's talk about coping. Coping is the problem. And it's the solution. I think it was Lenin that said religion was the o- is the opiate of the masses. That's not actually true. Coping is the opiate of the masses. And religion has been a great place where you learn how to cope. How to suck it up. How to just be tough. How to suffer well. How to endure the in- indignities of life how to be a slave and be happy with it, how to be oppressed and be happy with it, how to be under the thumb of the devil and still be happy in Jesus' name. (laughs) We learn how to do all of those things to cope with life because if we suffer well and we remain faithful until the end, then you know how it goes. We will be saved when we get to heaven. Mansions, riverfront, waterfront mansions. Big boats waiting for us in heaven. What is it teaching us how to do? It's teaching us how to cope. The problem is there is a very valuable potential energy that comes from the dissonance, sorry for all the big words, where this is out of alignment. Can I tell you? One of the most important things as, I, as a series that I did right before we got here was intentional in my willingness to struggle and to embrace struggling so that I can learn how to cope. The problem is I can't take away all the struggle. If I take away all the struggle... You're never going to have the energy that you need, the motivation that you need in order to get what you really need to get, which is an alignment in these two areas. When you make a change on what you believe, and that's easy to do. You got a a billion scriptures in that book on your lap. Pick any one of them and adopt it as I now believe that. It's not hard to do because God's smarter than you and if you realize that, then the whole book is now available to you to grab hold of. It doesn't have to make sense anymore. It doesn't have to be real anymore. It doesn't have to exist anywhere on the planet that you can find it, but you know as a Christian, it's the truth. That's actually the easy part of the equation. The hard part of the equation where you need the personal energy is in developing what's going on in your soul to the place that your expectancy aligns with this new belief system. 
Imagine what's happening inside of your mind if you have a sickness going on in your body and the Bible says that by his stripes you were, past tense, healed. That's probably not a new scripture to anybody in the room. What starts to happen in you is you start to have this, it's not supposed to be like this, which is actually sounds a lot like frustration and anger to me, just even as I say it. And I'm not really good at identifying my own personal frustration and anger, <laughs> evidently. And so when you have uh, that dissonance now where you are out of alignment, I believe one thing, expect a different thing. That's creating a huge problem on the inside of you. And it's making you mad. Not necessarily mad in an evil way. It's making you like experience an unhappiness. It's not the way it's supposed to be. What you have to do with that, if we just learn to cope too well, or we quit, oh well, forget it. I'm just not going to do that. Tear, tear that page out of your Bible. That's never, I'm never going to get that one. Forget that. We're going to go on to something else. Or I learn to just pretend, right? How are you? I'm blessed and highly flavored in Jesus' name. We can learn all of these kind of imaginary coping mechanisms that make us feel better in the moment, but they're not leaving us with any real energy to go and fix the problem. Because it takes a lot of work. Your soul activity takes a ton of focus and energy. You can't be like maxed out in the frustration zone and have happy thoughts. I mean, you can look like, you say, don't I look like I'm having happy thoughts right now? <clears throat> you can look like you are, but it's not really working. It's not having any real effect on you because it takes a lot of inner soul attention for your soul to really understand you're not kidding right now. So if, you know, if the cell phone bill comes in the mail and it's twice what it's supposed to be and your whole soul is freaking out right now and you're going like everything's fine in Jesus' name, yeah, it's fine in Jesus' name, it's fine in Jesus' name, you're, you're actually, by doing the repetition, you're actually making your soul argue with you. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm healthy and strong. No, you're not. I have lots of energy. No, you're not. I'm super happy right now. No, you're not. It's, you see all that? I already, it goes on constantly inside of your soul. In order to focus and battle on that well effectively, it takes a lot of energy. And so, Removing all of that energy by becoming a professional coper is not good. You want to take off a little bit of the edge and have mechanisms. We're just going to close with that. Have mechanisms where you have the ability to maintain a strength and energy as I cope. And at the same time, having strength and energy so that I can actually pursue getting myself in back into alignment, but back into a the proper, you know, truth-based alignment. Does that make some sense? Because what can easily happen if you don't pursue that here, this happens to a lot of Christians, is I get a new belief system, and the, the Bible says, you know, beloved, I'm with you always, and all that I have is yours. So abundance, you know, as you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. You know, there's all kinds of these well able to be abounding in every situation. And all. We got all those verses, 
But people get excited the first time they hear it. When they try to persevere in their soul to really expect it to appear in their tomorrow, and they lose that battle, the next time they hear that scripture, it's not as exciting. And slowly but surely, what begins to happen is the pressure backwards from the natural experience, which goes backwards into the soul, which then tries to realign the belief system back to a belief system that aligns with what's already going on in your natural. Do you see that? As you lose that battle, what happens is you become inoculated to when the truth comes to you again. So we recognize the, the amount of energy that you need, uh, frustration energy, I'm going to call it righteous anger, but I don't, I'd have to really consider if I'd ever say that ever again. But I believe that it's the kind of anger that is a, a righteous kind that I just get so angry at the belief system that it will not relent in my life. I don't want to have unrighteousness, what I now understand to be an untruth. I don't want that manifesting in my soul. I certainly don't want it manifesting in my life anymore. And I get mad at that situation. That energy, if you want to call it that, frustration energy is vital energy but you have to know how to align it to give you the time, give you the focus, give you the attention, give you the, the inner workings that get you to slowly but surely make the adjustments to the expectancies. What is really going to happen next based on the situation or whatever that we find ourselves in? Does that make sense? Because if we become people whose lives are just focused on coping, then as that, that Lenin quote, it becomes an opiate to us. It literally drugs us into the place where nothing is ever going to happen now. And we have to, we need the opiate, in, not, not, not literally. We need the ability to just cope with the misery of life until it's over, finally over. And that's completely, as you can hear me say it, it's completely not what the intended life of a human being in God's mind anyways. Uh, coping must be done in a way that maintains the energy and stamina to eventually overcome. That's critical. I even believe that it's the work, that's the actual work of the church. That when we get ourselves aligned as a local church with, or at, as a church at large, globally, when we become aligned with the original purpose and design of the church, it is going to be to create an environment that maintains the energy and stamina in people to be able to become, get through from a belief system, expectancy, natural outcome that is not from the negative, anything deceptive, over to the place of truth, and we become fully aligned in that. And how do we maintain the journey with strength and stamina? Um, and so I'll, I'll finish with this. Bail the water, but fix the leak. That's a sailboat analogy, as you could imagine. What's that talking about? It's talking about the fact that, yes, you have to right now focus on being happy in the moment. And what this summer is going to be about is developing the skills of, of injecting happiness into our lives, to have the mindsets, force ourselves to have the mindsets that are going to produce a happiness in us. Because that is also a power. 
it's also an energy, as many of you know. Sad people don't have a lot of energy. Happiness, people who are focused on being happy and stirring up happiness every single day have more energy through that day than people who are sad. And so the, desi the design of making the transition is assuming that we start from a position of happiness, right? The whole, this whole teaching on thou art with me is, you know, it might seem like we're going away from let's study the word of God to be able to get the faith and expectancy from every single scripture in the Bible to let's just go after one thing, God, you're with us. If I can believe God is with me, then I know that I can be happy in the moment. No matter what is going on right now, God is with me. The design of that whole program that we're working ourselves through at the same time over the summer is getting us to the place that I realize I have nothing to worry about, I have nothing to be afraid of, that all of my future is bright. I've got, no matter what it looks like inside of my head, it doesn't matter. It gets trumped in my head by God is with me. Does that make some sense? We can go through it as, as often. This is a, you know, one of those you know, secret clues that I use is that when you get into a situation that you can't see an, your way out of, just ask the Lord, is everything going to be okay? And then just wait and listen to what he says. And when he says, yep, everything's going to be okay. Okay. You have his word on it now. There's no point in you worrying about that situation. So that's the power of attending. I'm just not going to worry about that situation. I should worry about it as a responsible adult and, a, you know, but I don't. God said it's going to turn out okay. Do you, you, you need me to do anything about this, Lord? And he might say something. But he also might say, no, I got this. So I just don't worry about it. Sometimes I, I, when I first started doing it this way, I thought, man, this cannot possibly work. I need 32 alternatives. I need 17 people to give me advice. And then I need a whole team of three or 400 people fixing this problem. But you know what I found out? I found out it fixes itself in some situations. In other situations, there is something legitimate that he needs me to do to fix it, but it's not worry about it. And it's not lose your joy and happiness over it. It's being able to be that person that just says, Lord, everything's going to turn out okay. I'm excited to see how this goes. The first time I did it, it was like an experiment. I said, this is going to come apart like a $3 watch, and I'm doomed. But it, I didn't do it. I can't remember what situation was now. But it was like, it, 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 some, at some point in time, it solved itself. I don't even know when that happened. It just was all of a sudden not, I didn't even know that it wasn't there anymore. I wasn't paying any attention to it. It just was gone. It's this amazing way that God designed the world to be. And it all works in conjunction with itself. And when we just allow it to work, it works. But we have to do the due diligence. You have to do the things that are our responsibility. Our responsibility is to get the Bible, understand what the heck it says, and then do the work to get rid of all the images and ideas and expectancies and pictures and feelings and smells and sounds that are going off inside of our mind and keep them out at the same time as I am building, even if it's just in an artificial way, building an expectancy of what my life would look like if the word of God was actually coming to pass. So the Bible says, you know, like this is an example for my life. The Bible says that I get to live for 120 years. 
Well, that means I need to start building some pictures of what it's going to look like when I'm 80. And it's not going to be, you know, hobbling along, you know, sucking dinner out of a straw. That's not going to be how it's going to go. <laughs> I need to have I, I, things in my head that are what it's going to look like when I'm going to Olivia's wedding. Uh, not just that. Amen. What is going to be happening when I go to one of Olivia's children's wedding? Yeah. Not only that. It's what am I, how am I going to do to get to the wedding after that? You see, those are things we hardly ever think about as human beings, but that's necessary for you to think about. It's necessary for you to have those kind of ideas and what's it going to look like in that time going on inside of your mind. If, in fact, you've believed the Bible when it says you get to live to be 120 years old. If you don't do that, then the natural creaks and all that that are going on and the little oops and the little, you know, everything, oh, it's sagging more than it used to and all that kind of stuff. That's going to push back this way, right? Your friends are going to get, start looking old and, and things ain't going to work, you know. That's all pushing back. Those are images. They're going in your mind. Your mind does not know what actually happens out here. Have you all done that experiment? Your mind has no idea what is going on in the world around you. It only knows the images that you present through your eyes and your ears and your senses that are then recoded based on your perception of what's going on around you. So when you are giving your soul an imaginary, what you're calling an imaginary picture of the future, it does not know that. Don't tell it. Don't sit there saying, oh, Pastor Ian told me to do this stupid, but I'll do it anyways. Okay, don't do it. But if you just wake up every day and you're playing with your great, 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 great grandchild and you're still able to play, it doesn't know that's not true. Right? You could spend your whole day worried about the $300 cell phone bill, if you like, or you could start worrying about the piles of gold that you have in the basement. It does not know that you have the cell phone bill unless you tell it. It does not know you don't have a pile of gold in the basement unless you tell it. Which, who's right? Do you have a pile of gold in the basement or not? Because God says you do. You say you don't. Who's right? So you can't see the gold. That's okay. It doesn't matter. It's there. That's the point. What Blake came to teach us, it perhaps what you figured out, is that there's a whole lot going on that we didn't know was going on before. Yeah. Like, remember, remember Gehazi? There's a lot more with us than are with them. Yeah. Open his eyes, Lord. That's what we should be saying after Blake got on the plane. He said, Lord, open our eyes to see there's a whole lot more going on around me than I thought was going on around me. And he saw, when they, first time he came through Buffalo, so I think it's the first time he'd ever been there, he saw the Lord pour, it's angels pouring out buckets of gold and jewels. Are they there or not? Did some of them hit your basement or not? That's up to you to decide. But you see, what we have to learn to do is get our soul to, to, uh, to, to know that those images that we put in there, as we align ourselves to the truth and what we believe, that those images are more right 
more true than the images we see in our, with our natural eye. And that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of pr like back pressure that we are, that because all of this right now is all of this perspective of the world around us has been produced by the belief systems that we had before we came to God. We didn't know anything. Bible called us blind. If we use these things to be our determinant of what is true and false, then we are using the deceptions of our old belief systems to decide whether God is right or not. Like, by me saying it, it's almost blasphemous to say it. But in order to keep this pressure, we need the strength and energy and stamina that is needed. Because after a little while, and that's in God terms, so I don't know how long that will take, it does change. Matter of fact, it, ch it starts changing right away. You just don't notice it changing right away. It's like the dandelions that showed up in March. I didn't know they came. <laughs> if I'd have known they came, I'd have gone and pick out that little tiny little seed and I would have put it in the garbage. Wouldn't you have done that? It's like that. When the change starts to happen in your soul, you actually start initially feeling more not happy. Because you're in a fight. Your soul's in a fight. But if you are truly like myself, pursuing happiness as a marker of whether the word of God is actually getting to me. Then my objective is to fight. Fight with what is in your soul. Learn the things that we're going to be talking about over the next 10 weeks or whatever. Don't miss a, a Wednesday night. If you have to miss, you can't be here in the, in, the, in the flesh, then be online. Catch the material. Because all of these things that we're going to be talking about are mechanisms that you need to put, as silly as some of them sound, if you'll put them into practice in your life, you're going to find it to be completely... When you get to September, if that's when... I, I think that's the far... We go to the end of August, to the 10th, I think. But when you get to September... You're going to find when you rate yourself on how you said, how happy am I on the average day now? If you give yourself a number, one to 10, how honestly happy am I as a person? Ask somebody significant in your life who knows you well to rate you as well. Don't, you know, ask them to be honest. No, you know, you're not going to punch them when you get their answer. And then have them do it again in September. I can promise you, if you'll just put in the simple, the little bit of energy that it's going to take in order to do the simple little things that we're going to talk about, they're going to have profound effect on your life. Put your hand over your heart. Say, Lord, Lord. I know, I know. Happiness, happiness is a key pursuit key of my life. Of my life. I, know I know it sets in motion the energy that I need to pursue you, to pursue your word, and to do battle with the things that come up in my soul. So I declare today that I am a happy person. I wake up every day happy. I go to bed 
Every night, Every night. Happy. happy. People will say to me, that I am a happy person. That's the truth. I'll live out of that truth and the blessing that it creates for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that your life was impacted by this service and you are able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him, but been far from him. We wanna give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. If you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then just repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Savior and my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day. And help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you have just made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey. And most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we would love to send you with some easy steps on where to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you real soon.